Zechariah chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, a vision of Joshua the high priest. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel, clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. Hebrews chapter 7, uh, 20 through 28. And it was not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such with an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save the uttermost who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above all the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests who offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and those for the people, since he did this once and for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, But the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. And thank you, Alice. Please pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you as your people. Some of us come in joy. Some of us come in great sorrow. All of us come needing you. And we acknowledge that you are with us. Jesus, though you have ascended, you have sent your Spirit. We pray that you would fill us with your Spirit. We pray that we would experience your grace and your gospel. I pray that you would anoint my words and feed your people. In Jesus' name, amen. It is a joy to be here, and uh, it is a joy to preach on a passage like this, or a couple passages. Um, Our text today is going to be verse 25. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. 
Now, I'll be drawing in from some other texts, and I feel like this is a sermon where I could just uh, jump up and down and point at some of the songs and uh, scriptures in the bulletin and then go sit down, and I think I'd be fairly uh, satisfied with that, but uh, uh, we'll do a regular sermon uh, since that's what we expect. Um, And uh, Pastor Nathaniel has... Uh, already alluded to the ascension of Jesus. And that's where I'm going to begin. This is Ascension Sunday as well as Mother's Day. Again, happy Mother's Day to you and uh, happy Ascension Day. And the story that Pastor Nathaniel told the children is one of my favorite moments in the Bible. Uh, I think a very human moment, uh, a wonderful moment where you have the disciples and they're with Jesus and things are great. He's back. And they ask Jesus a question that I, have, I suspect they've been dying to, answer, to ask him. Acts 1.6, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And it's my suspicion that this is their way of saying, okay, Jesus, we get it. We didn't get it before. We didn't understand how you had to die, and that really freaked us out, and... Uh, We didn't really understand what was going on, but now we get it. You had to die. You had to be raised again for the sins of the world. And now's the time, right? Now's when we get to kick the Romans out and put you on the throne of David and and see the fullness of the kingdom of God come, right? And the answer they get is certainly not what they expect. Uh, They're probably expecting, yes, this is it. Strap on your swords, guys. Uh, get on your war horse, uh, we're riding into town. Instead, Acts 1, 7 to 9, he said for them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Okay, Jesus, uh, not what we were expecting. And verse 9, and when he had finished saying these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And there's a British word that I think captures this better than any American word we have, which is gobsmacked. You can imagine them just standing. I mean, the text tells us they're staring at the sky. Uh, This is the moment they thought, this is it. Kingdom of God is coming. And Jesus starts floating and keeps floating, kind of like when uh, a little kid lets go of a helium balloon and you watch that balloon. Or uh, if you've uh, seen one of the... uh, the little rice paper lamps that floats up into the sky and keeps going and going. And you wonder, how far can it go? And you can imagine the disciples just confused beyond all belief. The one that they thought was going to ride into Jerusalem, finally, has gone into heaven. And we don't know exactly how long they stood there, gobsmacked, staring at the sky, uh, probably feeling rather silly. Uh, But we know an angel has to show up and say, guys, and 
doesn't say in the text, close your mouths, but uh, at least semi-implied, Jesus isn't coming back the way, right now, go, go, Um, close your mouths, go home, Uh, he'll be back later, Uh, same way he left, which is a promise from God that we should hold on to. But it raises a big question that I'm sure they were asking. I'm sure they were thinking in some sort of terms like, wow. Put into English, why? Why did you leave? Jesus, why? Why leave your people? Why leave the disciples? Uh, Frail as they are, we know there were about 120 Christians waiting in the room when the Holy Spirit comes, which means you could fit the entire Christian church at the time in this room and uh, still have a few seats left. And Pastor Nathaniel in his sermon last week mentioned there's a part of us that really wishes Jesus was just here with us now. Why not stick around? Why not uh, be present here so that we could at least watch him on television? Uh, If not, go and meet with him personally. And we get a few answers to this question in Scripture. I'll be focusing on one of them, but it's worth mentioning the others. The first is what Jesus himself says in Acts 1. I'm going away, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, We don't understand why it has to be that way, uh, but Jesus says, I'm going away so that you may have the Holy Spirit. He says this in the Gospel of John. Uh, We also learn... uh, when Peter, uh, when Peter is saying that he's not going to deny Jesus, Jesus says, yes, you are here. You're, you're going to deny me. And then some of my favorite words in the Bible, there are lots of favorite words in the Bible in this sermon. Uh, Jesus says, but, but don't worry. Uh, there are many rooms in my father's house, and if it was not so, I would have told you. But I'm going to prepare a place for you. So the second reason Jesus leaves is because he is preparing a place for us. He is getting ready the new heavens and the new earth. And the third reason, which is what we're going to focus on today, is that Jesus ascends into heaven to be our intercessor. He ascends into heaven so that he, at the right hand of his Father, will speak a good word about you before God. As we get into our text today, uh, I want to say just a couple words about the book of Hebrews. We're jumping right into the middle, and we're jumping into an argument that's been going on for a while and will continue. Uh, One of my uh, applications for today, um, or for the week or month, uh, is Read the rest of the book of Hebrews. It's really amazing. And if you've never read it before, uh, it is full of hope, full of joy. And its core message is the superiority of Christ as our mediator, as uh, as our sacrifice, as our prophet, as our priest. Uh, The book of Hebrews is a sermon written to Christians, we think. Uh, It 
doesn't start out with the words of a letter. It may have been a letter. We're not entirely sure, but it sure reads like a sermon. Uh, As for who wrote it, for a long time, it was traditional that it was written by Paul. Um, Certainly, Paul would say many of these things if he didn't write it. Uh, Certainly possible he did. There are a couple indicators that make um, biblical scholars think doesn't quite fit Paul. Paul always says, I received the gospel from Jesus directly. The author of Hebrews at one point says, uh, the gospel that we received from others. So this uh, makes us think that uh, very likely this is a uh, second generation second generation Christian, or at least a first generation Christian who was converted uh, by someone else. Um, there are lots of people that could fit, and you know, I'm not saying they did, but a guy like Timothy, a guy like Apollos, uh, any of those kind of guys, Titus, uh, there are all kinds of suggestions, but someone like that uh, seems to be the author of Hebrews. And as for the setting, we think it was written probably before 70 AD, before the destruction of the temple. The reason is it seems like this is written to a group of Jewish Christians who, though they're convinced of Jesus as Lord and Savior, are considering going back to the old ways of Judaism. Uh, The Bible has a lot to say about uh, Gentiles and Christianity. This is written to Jews. And what do you Jews do when you're a Christian? And do we have to go back? Do we need a high priest? Uh, Do we keep going to the temple? And the argument of the book of Hebrews is that we don't need that. And we don't need that, particularly because the ministry of Jesus is by far superior. And we get that in our text today, that the ministry of Jesus is far and above greater than the the Old Covenant. Um, In a couple of words that I wouldn't have chosen for myself, if you go back a a couple verses to verse 18, um, the writer of the Hebrews calls the law... Uh, the former commandment, we, uh, which is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. Not always how we think about the law of God, but, uh, but that's at least one perspective on it, and I would argue a perspective that, uh, that Paul shares. Um, our text today, though, says... Jesus comes along as a minister of a better covenant. That old covenant in its weakness and its uselessness uh, has passed away. We don't need it anymore. Instead, we have Jesus, who has been confirmed as our high priest with an an oath. And uh, as we look into that, first I want to talk a little bit about this temporary priesthood of Sinai. Um, If you were taking notes, um, that's actually my second point. The first is introduction. Um, And in the Old Testament, um, if you know uh, your Old Testament well, you might be familiar with this. If you don't, that's okay. Um, The Israelites had priests set aside by God. They were members of the tribe of Levi, and they had a very specific job of going before God on behalf of the people. And you had one person whose 
was called the high priest. Uh, his job was to go into the Holy of Holies once a year by himself and sprinkle blood on, uh, on the Ark of the Covenant and to make intercession on behalf of the people. Here, the writer of the Hebrews focuses on a couple of problems. First is the problem of the weakness and uselessness of the former commandment. Uh, The law was never set up to save sinners. The law was set up to guard people, yes. It was set up to preserve Israel from becoming exactly like all the other nations around them. Uh, It was set up to be a type or a shadow of things to come and to be a witness of Christ's coming and then afterwards a witness of what Christ has accomplished. But in itself, it has no power to save. As Paul says in Galatians 3, verse 10, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. Romans 3 will say all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 7 will say that though the law itself is good, we are not. And when you place a law in front of it, uh, in front of us, sin bubbles up in our hearts and we want to break that law. Uh, It's very easy to test this with... uh, an elementary classroom, you put a pile of anything, doesn't matter what it is. It can be a pile of used pencils. It can be a pile of paper cups. And you say, don't touch these. And then you just turn around and, uh, My elementary teachers can tell me how high you would have to count before they would actually get there and do it. Uh, Some of you mothers understand this. Uh, If you're honest about your own childhood or your own heart, uh, we know. Uh, There's something in us that desires to break laws even though we know it's good. And so the law itself cannot save us, not because it isn't good, uh, it is, but because we cannot keep it. And if we try, we will fail and we will call on ourselves the curses that were promised to any lawbreaker. And that could have been it. Uh, Happily, there is a solution to this problem. Now, the second problem which comes along is that Not only is the former covenant limited, but you have sinful priests. And our text today talks about how uh, one of the problems with these priests is that they had to make a kind of intercession for themselves before they could go and make intercession for someone else. Uh, They had to offer sacrifice for their own sins before they went and made sacrifices for someone else. Uh, And uh, 
they were really, the high priest was risking death if he went into the Holy of Holies and hadn't purified himself. Now, there's a greater problem that's part of this, that this is just a reflection that these priests are themselves condemned. They are under the curse of the law, and therefore they cannot offer a kind of sacrifice that would save us. Now, we can go a little further, and we can say that this was true of Old Testament priests. It's also true for any human. Whether you talk about Jewish priests uh, in the Old Testament or Catholic priests today or saints or even Mary, uh, none of them have anything that they can stand on other than a righteousness they've received from Jesus to make intercession. There is nobody who can intercede for you uh, who is under the curse. Now, again, there is a solution to this, and Jesus himself is no, uh, he's not subject to death. He did die, but he was raised again from the dead into glory. Now, it's worth saying that for many of us, you may have grown up in a, uh, a church that didn't have priests, uh, a Protestant church. You may not have grown up in a church, and you may have had no dealings with human priests. You may have no temptation to, to look to a saint to bring about your salvation, but the American way is to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and to just muscle through, and if if I can just just work a little harder, uh, I can do it. And the same problem is there. You cannot make intercession for yourself. Uh, the bad news here is that every single one of us in this room, myself included, stand condemned by the law in such a way that if we were to go before God on our own, we wouldn't last long. We would be condemned and kicked out of the presence of a very holy God. I'm going to keep going. Uh, I'm not going to stop there uh, because there is good news. And uh, the next point uh, in my outline is the permanent and perfect priesthood of Jesus. Now, in contrast to the temporary and ineffective priesthood of the Old Testament, um, granted, it was effective to do what it was supposed to. It was a type and a shadow, but it didn't deal with sin. And Hebrews will say in another place, the blood of sin, the blood of goats and uh, and lambs will not take care of our sin. But Jesus Himself was a perfect sacrifice, and He is our perfect priest. Uh, and so we see in verse twenty-five, we have a priest who is not subject to death. We have a priest uh, who, unlike these other priests, is not condemned, who, uh, if you follow those words closely, it says he is holy. He is innocent, meaning there is nothing legal standing against him. He is unstained, meaning there is no corruption. There is no... uh, Nothing ugly, nothing sinful, nothing 
that weighs him down or blemishes either his character or his record as a lawkeeper. He is separated from sinners, not in the kind of way that he wants nothing to do with you, by no means, but rather he stands apart as someone who is righteous. And as such, he is worthy to be our intercessor. Uh, He is worthy to stand with God as God and make intercession. Verse 27, he has no need for sacrifices. The one who lived the law perfectly has no need of someone else coming along and taking care of his own sins. He has accomplished the law. He has completed the law. He has fulfilled the law. He has obeyed his father, and he has received the verdict, you are righteous. And we see that in his resurrection. The next thing we're going to look at is the task of Jesus. And this is the answer to the question, why did Jesus leave? Jesus left to be our intercessor, to be our defense attorney. Now, before we look at our defense attorney, it's helpful to look at our prosecuting attorney. And when we look at uh, Zechariah 3, we see a great picture of this. Here you have Joshua the high priest after the exile uh, looking, really Joshua is looking to become the high priest. Couple of problems. In order to have a high priest, you need to consecrate him in a temple. There's no temple. In order to have a temple, you have to dedicate it. Who has to dedicate it? The high priest. Uh, So you've got a little catch-22 here, and you have Satan saying, I've got you. This guy's not worthy of becoming a high priest. This guy's a sinner. And to paraphrase loosely, uh, the Lord says to Satan, shut up, go sit down. Um, Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? In other words... Be quiet. This is one of mine. I have saved Joshua. Martin Luther understood this too, and Martin Luther uh, has those great words, if you noticed in the reflection at the beginning of the bulletin. Uh, Martin Luther says this. Uh, I'm going to turn there. You're welcome to follow along. When the devil throws our sins up to us, And declares we deserve death and hell, we ought to speak thus. I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? Does this mean that I shall be sentenced to eternal damnation? By no means. For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction in my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Where he is, there I shall be also. This is something we shouldn't underestimate, one that Satan will throw our sins in our face. He will look to single you out, to get you away from from fellowship with God, from fellowship with other believers. He will take things that are true of you 
and he will shove them in your face and say, you have no right to come before God. You have no right to sit in Christ's church. You have no right to preach the word of God in my, in my case. Uh, Luther says, yeah, so what? It's true. You got me. I'm a sinner. What are you going to do about it? Jesus is on my side. Jesus is speaking goodness on my behalf, and I'm clothed in his righteousness. And when we can understand that, then we can stand up in front of each other, and we can say, look, I am not righteous by myself. Instead, then we can together look to our defender, to the one who, prosec- or who uh, advocates on our behalf. I was thinking about um, illustrations of this, and Luther's is great. I actually have my own. Um, this is uh, one that uh, helped me understand what it means to have an advocate. Uh, it's, an, it's an example that, in hindsight, is kind of funny, um, but at the time was rather terrifying. Um, and it's one of those things that uh, hopefully no one on the school board looks and says, hey, you can't have this guy teaching theology. Uh, uh, it was a day kind of like this. It wasn't a Sunday. I remember that. What I do remember is I had a sandwich from the local Italian restaurant. I was working at Central Coast Wines in San Luis Obispo, California. It was after Christmas, and if you know anything about retail after Christmas, uh, at about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, you know that there's not much going on. I can remember that I was breaking down some boxes, and uh, I really wanted to eat my sandwich. That was heavily on my mind. Um, and young lady walks in. She looked to me to be about 30, wearing... Uh, Uh, sweatshirt and sweatpants, and uh, she told me she was on her way to, uh, up to Carmel, she was going to take the train, wanted to buy a bottle of white Zinfandel, and she looked 30 to me, and I know better, I know, uh, when someone comes up, you say, can I see your ID? And I will say, I have successfully passed at least two of these, um, But this time, sandwich. I want a sandwich. Uh, Really want a sandwich. Kind of bored, want a sandwich. Uh, You look old enough, okay, on we go. I also remember that I was wearing a striped uh, rugby shirt, which was helpful as the police were snapping my picture with my name. Uh, I had inadvertently sold alcohol to a minor at a... Luxury wine shop. Um, To make the story better, next day, my grandparents, who happened to be in the next town, say, hey, we read about your wine shop in the newspaper. Yeah, that was me. (laughs) Now, I can tell you that um, I was guilty. Um, I also would say probably it was about the moral equivalent of accidentally running a red light or thinking, I think I can make that. Um, I knew better. There was nothing that I really 
had to say in my defense other than sandwich. Um, <laughs> and uh, my court date came happily. And here's where the story gets good for, for me, so that I don't have a misdemeanor on my record, uh, which I easily could have. I also could have faced a $6,000 fine. Um, my boss was a lawyer. <laughs> and so I go into the courtroom with my boss, the lawyer on one side, my pastor on the other side, uh, who <laughs> refers to this as my... Um, brush with the law, and uh, I go in there, and court is a scary place. Um, I'm sitting there feeling very small as they usher in people in chains and orange jumpsuits, and my plan was I was just going to go and say, I'm sorry, I broke the law, Uh, didn't mean to. My boss said, don't do that. He'll just look at you and say, $6,000, misdemeanor on your record. And so having a lawyer on my side was very helpful. um, And things were said, and he turns to me and said, I have no idea what they're saying. Uh, I'm going to go talk to the DA and see what's going on. I'm sitting there going, okay. And he did. He came back and said, we're going home. Later, it worked out. Um, As it turns out, I was a 28-year-old found guilty of purchasing alcohol as a minor, which is an infraction, uh, which students in the front row, I have never purchased alcohol as a minor. Um, Did some community service, and it was okay. Having a defender on my side saved me a lot of things. Jesus is much greater than this. We stand guilty, and we would have no defense before God. And the reality of a holy God is if we came in and we said, sorry, I wasn't wasn't thinking, uh, the reply would be, "That's, that's not enough. I am a holy God. I cannot abide the sight of sin. But the good news is, that Jesus is our defender. And as we saw in Zechariah 3, so we see in our own lives. Jesus is our great high priest who has kept the law, who is one with the Father, and therefore when he says to the Father, these are my people, I have paid for them, the word that comes back is not, get out of my sight, but welcome home. Welcome home, my son, my daughter. You're home now. Satan, be quiet. This is one of mine. How do we respond to this great salvation? One, we should be incredibly joyful, recognizing that we live in a world that is broken, recognizing that there are many among us who are hurting today. We have cause for joy. We have cause for being able to rest in Jesus, to take our burdens, to take our sins, and lay them at his feet. And know that you have a high priest who is on your side, who is interceding, who has conquered death and hell, whose blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. 
The first thing to do is to take this in. Let it sink in. Jesus is on your side. The second is to give praise to our high priest, to look up and to say, praise be to God, praise be to Jesus, that I have such a great high priest. And I want to conclude with some of the other words of Hebrews. Like I said, I encourage you, read the book of Hebrews. It is wonderful and uh, very rich. And here, further along in the argument, uh, the writer of Hebrews is able to say this, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great, high, a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglect to meet together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. A good little reminder at the end, the day approaching, that's when Jesus comes back and when our great high priest makes all things new. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we glorify your name for your great plan of salvation. Son of God, Lord Jesus, we glorify you for taking on our sin and killing it in your flesh. We glorify you for being the one who was so righteous that the Father said, be raised from the dead. And we are so grateful that we are united with you, Jesus, and that when, Jesus, when, when that verdict came, be raised from the dead, it applied to us also. Fill us with your spirit, who you promised to send. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.